Hey, how are you guys tonight? Such a, a, an honor to be with you guys these couple days. And so beautiful to see so many churches and so many movements and so many tribes coming together to lift up one name. And it really, it really is amazing. It, it, I love what Travis was saying about, about, you know, sometimes we're in a miracle and we miss out. Um, on the very miracle we're in, and I, I think it's I think it's important for you guys to know what what God's doing because um, sometimes, I, especially like people going after revival, many of you guys want to see God do something, and you're going after revival. Sometimes it's it, it's too easy to to constantly be talking about revival and miss out on the revival you're in. Like like in John three, there's this woman that encounters Jesus at a well. And she's talking to Jesus about Jesus. She's standing in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus is talking to her. She has no idea she's talking to Jesus. So she's like, yeah, there's one coming. His name is Jesus, you know? I don't want to be, I don't want to be a people talking to Jesus about Jesus. Right? I don't want to be in the room of God and be like, God, would you move? Would you move? And he's like, I didn't move. I moved from heaven to the earth and I gave my life. Like, I, I, I'm moving, and there is a move of God. When, when you have churches that are that are gathering, Baptists and Anglicans and conservatives and charismatics that, that are lifting up the same name of Jesus, that's revival. That's revival because the, the overwhelming ache of God is to gather His kids, not just under one roof, but under one father. And uh, I really believe that, that Travis, you know, I've known Travis now for about a year. We've spent lots of time together. But I believe that, that, that God has really commissioned um, Travis to be a Joshua for his generation. And God, God's raising up the Joshuas on the earth. He's raising up the Joshuas and nations all across the earth. And, and uh, Moses, you know, Moses had to die. Like the old way of doing things had to die. And then the, the word of the Lord came to Joshua, and, and the Lord said, the time has come. And, and one of the first things that God says to Joshua is, be strong and courageous, gather all the tribes. So in Joshua 1, one of the very first things that God commissions Joshua to do is, hey, we've got to gather all the tribes, because I'm about to move. And he says to Joshua, every tribe contends until every tribe has their promise. You guys know there's, there's over 40 thousand denominations um, in the earth right now. And most of those denominations were birthed not out of vision, but division. And, and any division in the body of Christ is antichrist. It doesn't get more antichrist than that. Like He's coming back. Jesus is coming back for a beautiful bride, whole and healed and happening. 
Like, this is his heart. Jesus isn't coming back for a bride whose body parts are scattered all over the place. And yet that's the reality of our days. So God's raising up Joshua's in every nation and every city. And they're beginning to gather the tribes of God. And they're beginning to gather. Because in Revelation 22, like, we, we have, I love that we get the, the end of the story. Like, God actually, like, Moses and Abraham and Nehemiah and Esther, they said yes to God, and they had no idea how the story ends. And yet they have more faith than many of us who actually have the end of the story. We actually know what happens. Like, we get the end in Revelation 21 and 22. Heaven comes on the earth in every way possible, and the glory of the Lord covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. There's a shout from heaven, I'm making all things new. And it says that every tribe and tongue on the earth come into the city of God and they worship God. It isn't like the Anglicans and the Baptists. It's like every tribe and tongue. In that moment, when we see Jesus face to face, that every tribe and tongue are worshiping in their own like, like way and song. In that moment, we will not argue about predestination. <laughs> we will see him as he is. And I really believe God's commissioned you to He's commissioned you to, to, to gather the tribes of this city and gather tribes in, in Canada. And, and, and what I love about, about the tribes in Joshua is before they were tribes, they were brothers. I think we miss out on that. Sometimes there's this sense of like we're just gathering the tribes. But, but before, before they were tribes, before they were denominations, they were brothers under one father. This is what God's doing. And I'm just telling you, and I'm saying this because I really believe that resurgence is one of those movements on the earth that God's doing in, in cities all across the earth. But it's one of those movements where, where God loves his church. So he's like, he loves his church. But what he does is he raises up groups of people who, who are willing, who are bold enough and brave enough to kind of break through some old paradigms. The, the Joshua's of our day that, that look out and go, I can value what God's doing in, in every church in my city, but I know that there's something God he wants to gather the tribes to do something greater. Some kingdom move of God that actually expresses the fullness of God and, and isn't just Baptist because God is more than Baptist. God is more than charismatic. He's more than any label that we put on God. God is actually beyond every label we could ever put on him. God's actually, he's beyond any religion on the earth. You guys know God's like beyond religion? Like God didn't create a religion called Christianity. You guys know that? He did not sign up. It wasn't like, do I want to be a Buddhist? Or do I want to be a Mormon? Okay, I'll be a Christian. You didn't sign up for a religion. You signed up for a person. God creates human beings in his image. And he sees human beings in his image. And it was us who created a religion called Christianity. God didn't send a religion. He sent his son. We signed up for the son, not for a, a religion called Christianity. So I don't even, you know, people what religion part are like, oh, I'm not. I just, I just follow Jesus. I don't do religion. That's man. Man created religion. God sends his son. And I just hope, I hope that the resurgence, like you guys are signing up for a move of God, and you have to know that this is this is way bigger than Travis. I mean, Travis is good, but he's not that good. <laughs> God's up to something massive in Canada and Edmonton, and, and he just he looks. God doesn't call crowds; he calls people. He calls people, and if he can find if he can find a Travis, if he can uh, find a Diana, right? If he, can, if he can find a man or a woman, that's what he does. He doesn't call crowds. God doesn't show up and go, will you follow me as a crowd? He calls people. People need crowds. And so he's looking for leaders on the earth, men and women who will say yes and become the leader on their campus, the leader in their marriage. And, and so you guys are a part of something God's doing on the earth, and it's amazing. And protect this thing and support this thing and give into this thing, but recognize it's way bigger than the resurgence. You guys get to give into it. So I just want, can I just pray and just bless? Can you just stand up for me? I'm just going to like, 
I want to just, as a, as a, a brother um, in the kingdom, I just want to commission you. And I know that you've already been walking in it, and so this isn't the first time you've been commissioned. David was, David was anointed in the field when no one was looking. And then he was anointed by a few tribes, and then he was anointed by more tribes. So we're just one tribe on the earth recognizing what's on your life, Travis. And so we, if you guys want to extend your hand, we, and this is when, when, we, when we extend our hand to Travis, we're actually extending our hand to the resurgence. Because this, this, isn't, this isn't just him, it's, it's a team thing, but, but symbolic that we bless the, the Joshua commission on your life to be strong and courageous, to gather the tribes so that every tribe would contend until every tribe has their promise. That no tribe would just do their own thing, but the tribes would be given to a much greater kingdom. I pray the anointing of God on you, favor with, with the churches and the leaders in the city, that they'd recognize the hand of God on you to lead a movement that, that isn't anti-church. It's actually it's actually pro-church in every way possible. It's 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 for the healing of the church. And, and, I, and I pray that there'd be a, a, an acceleration, a quickening of, of, of uh, the, the favor that this is, this wouldn't be a 30 year thing, but in the next three years, that there'd be uh, such a greater spell of favor on your life that cities in Canada would recognize what's happening. We commission you in the, in the name of Jesus, the, the love of the Father, the power of the Holy Spirit, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can turn to First Kings. Nineteen. I want to talk about um, Elijah. The last few years, um, this this story of Elijah has become um, a very real story in my life, and so I want to I share some things that I believe are very important to our generation and very important to what I believe you're meant to carry in this city. So again, I'm speaking to you as leaders. I really feel like the Lord wants to do something in you so he can do it through you, and so I'm sharing a message that I feel is very important for Canada and for the city, and uh, so um, in the story of Elijah, Elijah's one of the great prophets of God, and and here he is, he, he's a part of, I think, one of the most epic scenes in the Bible, where, you know, he, he's, you know, facing the, the false prophets of Baal, and there's this moment when the whole nation's watching, and the king's watching, and, and uh, here's, um, you know, Elijah, who, who's obeyed God, and brought this harsh word to king and these false prophets, and now it's like the showdown of history, because the prophets are going to call fire down from heaven, but Elijah's going to call fire down from heaven, and, and the, the prophets, they do everything they can to, to, to call out to their gods, but their, their gods uh, do not answer. And then Elijah, he prays to his God, but first he waters the altar three times, and, and uh, because he wants, he wants God to really show off, and and so he prays, and God hears his prayer, and God sends fire from heaven. It's, it's this incredible scene. I, I want to watch it on the big screen one day. Someone here has to do Elijah the film. Fire of God comes down, and then, and then he takes a sword and ends up killing all the prophets of Baal. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it's incredible. And, uh, and then the next day, the queen, Jezebel, Threatens his life. And it says in uh, 1 Kings 19.3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town of Judah, and left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. Aren't you glad God doesn't answer every prayer? <laughs> Elijah said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than any of my ancestors who have already died. 
He lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate, drank, and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate, drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. So here's Elijah. He's just, he, he's God's man. He's just seen the fire of God come down from heaven. And the next day he gets threatened by Jezebel and he's running for his life. He goes into the wilderness and, and uh, he's praying prayers to God. God, I don't want to die. God, I'm so disappointed. I'm so discouraged. I'm so dis- despairing. I, I, I want to die. And, and what happens is he keeps falling asleep and God keeps waking him up and giving him food. And God says things to him like, hey, you're going to need some food for the journey ahead. Sometimes when we're discouraged, we need to hear God say, there's a journey ahead. Sometimes it's where at the end we're thinking, man, I want to die, I'm done, I'm, now I'm so discouraged, I want to give up. And the Lord begins to feed us because we need strength for the journey ahead. And I love this story that, that, that God, he's, he, he's the God of Revival. He's the God of, you know, fire. But He's also the God of food and rest. And I think we need to remember this, that He's the God of both revival and rest. He's the God of both food and fire. That in one moment, Elijah's seeing the heavens open and the fire of God come down. And we want to see God do that in our cities. And the the next moment, God's feeding him and and saying, you need some sleep, dude. (laughs) God cares about all of it. And then here's Elijah. He ends up, after 40 days and 40 nights of running away from God, he's running away from his call, he's running out of the will of God, and after 40 days, he ends up, yep, at the mountain of God, face to face with God. I mean, there's nowhere you can run to get away from God. Psalm 139 says this, there's nowhere you can run to escape the presence of God. I love that 40 days of doing everything he can to run from God, he runs into God. Uh, you just can't. I think there's a sense of like, I'm, I'm 40 days out of God's will, it's going to take me 40 days to get back into his will. All you have to do is turn around and he's there. He comes face to face with God. He ends up in a cave. And here's the reality, if you've ever followed Jesus, if if you've ever, if you're human, like Elijah, you've ended up in a cave. You've ended up in a cave season in your life. Maybe cave is, is a divorce. Maybe cave is an addiction. Maybe cave is depression. Maybe cave is you slept with your boyfriend and he got you pregnant and then he left. Maybe cave is pornography, maybe cave is lust, maybe cave is discouragement that you, you can't seem to escape. Maybe when cave is, is, is torment, maybe cave is nightmares and we've all ended up, there's nobody that's that's lived, there's, that, that hasn't ended up like Elijah at the edge of that cave saying, God, where are you? Cave happens. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're Moses, wilderness happens. If you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fire happens. If you're Esther, captivity happens. If you're Jonah, fish happens. <laughs> if you're Paul, prison happens. If you're Joseph, pit happens. <coughs> If you're Jesus, grave happens. There's no, I think sometimes that, you know, some of us, we, we believe this thing that, that when you begin following Jesus, everything will be perfect. Like my life was a mess, and, and now that I'm following Jesus, everything will be shiny, happy people holding hands. <laughs> 
You know, now that I said yes to him, you know, everything that's been, you know, jacked in my life will be straight. But I think for for most of us, it, it's it's actually the opposite. Like, my life was great, and I said yes to Jesus, and then everything fell apart. I mean, sometimes you've got to fall apart for God to actually put you back together. And the reality is following Jesus Follow Jesus at all, you'll end up like Elijah at the edge of this cave and, and asking God all kinds of questions about how did I get here and, and why is this happening in my life? And, and, and I said yes to Jesus. Why did this relationship fall apart? Why did this marriage fall apart? Why is my, my finance so awful? Or why did I lose that job? Why am I so discouraged? Why can't I kick this addiction? We've got a, a friend in our church named Jordan. About six weeks ago, something happened in his brain and his heart, and he fell into a coma. He's been in a coma for six weeks now. And the doctor said that after a month, normally people don't come back from comas. We went and visited him a couple weeks ago in the hospital, and, and we laid hands on him, and, and uh, we began to pray. We began to ask God for the resurrection power of Jesus to flow through his body and yeah. my, my little kids have been praying for weeks every night wake Jordan up God wake Jordan up but Jordan's not waking up they've given him a couple weeks to live they moved him back in his house and, and at this point unless God shows up with resurrection power Jordan will die there's a little girl in our church that's, that's one of the most beautiful little girls I've met. Her name is Kaya. She's got these long, long dreads and, and uh, just a precious little worshiper. And a couple weeks ago, her mom came up to me and said, hey, not, not too many people know this. She's 11 years old. Her mom said, not, not too many people know this, but Kaya's been diagnosed with, with a brain disease and the doctors are giving her less than a year to live. So we're praying, praying for God, that God would somehow touch her body and heal this spring disease. This girl named Kelsey came to our church about a year ago. She came in and she said, I don't know why I'm here. I've never been in church before. But I feel God. About three weeks later, we prayed with Kelsey and she gave her life to Jesus and had this radical love encounter with God and she felt the love of God and she gave her life and uh, about five days later her dad dropped dead of a heart attack she came to me weeping and weeping with all these new questions about God this God that she just said yes to and then her dad dies a couple years ago got a call from friends at the hospital. They said, come down. Our little baby girl is about to be warm. I want you to pray for her. And so we showed up in the hospital and we held this little girl and we worshipped and we worshipped Jesus and we praised him and, and little, I held this little girl and then just a few days later I was called back to the same hospital where a friend of ours who's been dying from cancer the last uh, year um, was on the last um, moments of her life and her family said we want you to come pray and worship with her and we worship in the same hospital and the, the, the songs of hope and the songs of Jesus rung out through the, the hallways and I had this thought I went home that day and I had this thought that, that this week I held two girls one breathing her first breath and one breathing her last mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys but I look out at the world and being a part of community and, and there's all kinds of suffering and there's all kinds of pain and there's all kinds of cave and things that happen and, 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 and things that, that I, I can't control. And it's so easy to, to begin to ask God all the why questions about why would this happen and why would you let this person die and, and why five days after Kelsey gives her life to God would, would you allow her father to die and there's all, all these um, cave questions that, that we bring to God as a generation if we really believe that 
God is mighty and that God saves and that God heals and this is who God is. And we read the story of God and, we, and all the things he's done and yet at times it's, it's, it's like, where are we? And if we don't understand what's happening in the cave, and if we don't understand how to find God in the cave and how to respond in the cave, oftentimes we can actually get jaded toward God when God is actually moving in the cave in power. So here's Elijah. He ends up in this cave. And the Lord spoke to him. And God asked Elijah this, this such a brilliant question. God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And how many of you need God to ask you that? Like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here tonight? What are you doing here in this relationship? What are you doing here in Edmonton? What are you doing here in this season? God says to Elijah, he asks this brilliant question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah responds to the Lord and says this, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God asks Elijah a question and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? God's talking to Elijah, but Elijah's talking about everyone else. How often is God actually speaking to you? He's Asking you a question, he's in a conversation with you, but you can't stop talking about everyone else. But him, but her, Lord. And God's like, what are you doing here, Elijah? I'm not talking about him, I'm talking to you. At this point, Elijah won't even let God in. And the Lord speaks to him again and says, Elijah, go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice spoke again to Elijah and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? He asked him the same question again. Now it's interesting because here's God is trying to speak something to Elijah. He's trying to break through to Elijah, but Elijah's talking about everyone else. Elijah's not letting God in. And so God says to him, hey, listen, I want to talk to you. Elijah, why don't you, why don't you come and stand before me at the edge of this cave? And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, well, wasn't he already standing before you? Weren't you guys already talking? And it's almost as if God is saying to Elijah, hey, listen, listen, I was trying to talk to you, but you're not really ready to open up. You're not really ready to hear from me. So I'm going to come and stand over here, Elijah, and when you're ready and when you're ready to set the attitude down, you can come and talk to me. I'll be right over here. Because here's the thing, you guys. There, there's, a, there's a huge difference between God standing before you and you standing before God. God pursuing you and you pursuing God. There are times when God will stand before you and He's speaking to you and His presence is in front of you, but you're not really ready, so God will actually distance himself a bit, they'll say, hey, when you're ready, listen, I'm standing before you, but now it's time for you to come and stand before me. I think there are many of us, it's time for us to come and stand before him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He said there was a this storm, but God wasn't in the storm. There was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. There was a a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. God was in the gentle whisper. He's drawing Elijah to a whisper. It's so interesting here because here's Elijah. He's, he's in this dark night of the soul. He's in what Psalm 88 would call when darkness becomes my closest friend. And here he is in this 
in this cave. And, and But God hasn't abandoned him. God hasn't left him. God's actually with him. And I think it's so vital that, that we understand that, that when, when we feel alone, loneliness is not that God has abandoned you. Loneliness is an invitation to the God who will never abandon you. And every cave season, the, 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 the heart of this message, every cave season is an invitation to know God in a deeper way. Because I'm convinced when it's darkest, He's faithful to lead us the deepest. And there's a encounter, there's a love, there's an intimacy, there's a song that, that God has actually reserved for you in the cave. I mean, there, there's a knowing, there's a depth in God that you only get in the cave and nowhere else. And those of us that, that have been led through cave seasons, that have met God in the suffering, that have, that have cried out to God in the fish, those of us that have, that have experienced the love of God in, in the, the, the dark seasons of our life, we, we know that there's, there's, there's an intimate encounter that we, we can't find anywhere else. There's a love that we experience in, in, in the cave that you just can't find in God because he's so faithful. It says that Joseph, when Joseph was in prison, it says that God showed Joseph his faithful love. That there was a faithful love that, that Joseph found in God that you just can't find in the palace. You only find it in the prison. I had a friend named Patrick, a great friend, and a few years back he called me and, and uh, he was just weeping on the phone and he just said, he said, Nathan, he said that, that my uh, uh, my stepdad just murdered my mom and then shot himself. And, and these kind of phone calls, what do you do? And I, you know, we wept together and, and just all the, the why questions and, and the, the tragedy of it. And, and his father's real dad had walked out on him when he was three years old. So here he's growing up fatherless and doesn't have a dad in his life. And then the dad he does have kills his mom and... and uh, we just, we just wept together. I had no answers. That there was no quick fix. After he hung up the phone, Patrick tells me that he went into his, his closet and began to, to pull down the clothes and he began to pack for the trip to, uh, to go to where his mom uh, had been living at the time. And he said that, that uh, in that moment in the closet, he said the presence of God filled the place. He said he couldn't even stand. He said the love of God collapsed upon him in a way that he fell face down on the ground. He shut the door of the closet. He said that a baptism of love, he said the love of God wrapped around him. And all he could do was worship God. He thought of that moment when David's son died. And once David knew that his son had died, he worshipped the Lord. And he just sang songs to God. And the song that he sang was that song, Oh How He Loves. He sang that song over and over again and said that there was an, an intimacy he had with Father God that he had never experienced before in his life. That, that God revealed himself in the closet to Patrick. And he ended up uh, getting uh, a banner tattooed across his heart, Oh, How He Loves. And they asked him to, to, to play that song at his, at his mom's funeral and they worshiped God together and just sang out, Oh, How He Loves. That the greatest love encounter Patrick had with the Lord came out of the, the darkest season of his life. I think many of us have had those moments with God. I was uh, coming home just a few months ago, and, and uh, my, my son, Asher, is eight years old, and uh, it, was, it was a long day, lots of people, and I'm convinced the church would be perfect without people. <laughs> and uh, I was just, just tired and wanted to just really just rest in the bed for a minute and take a nap. But uh, I walked by my son's room and actually he just cried out and said, Dad, come play with me. Come play with me. And I looked at his room and his room was a disaster. 
<laughs> like like a disaster. Thousands of Legos. It's like there's a Lego explosion, you know, like a Lego war. And I said, dude, there's no way. Clean up your room, man. Clean up your room, and I'll come play with you. And he said, oh, Dad. He said, Dad, come play with me. Let's play Legos, Dad. And I said, dude, I'm not playing with you. Clean up your room, and then I'll come, and I'll play with you. And immediately, God convicted me. I just felt the Lord's conviction of God. And the Lord said this. He said, I'm not like that. I'm the God who sits in the mess. And he began to speak to me. I would never ask you to clean up your mess. And then I'll come sit with you. And then I'll come play with you. He said, get in there, you know. So I jumped in. I dove in. It was this moment. I dove into the Legos and, and just started, you know, creating a space to sit. And we built Lego towers and Lego spaceships. And it was interesting. It was one of those moments where, where God was teaching me how to be a son and a father all at the same time. That God sits in the mess. That there's Elijah, and, and he's doing everything he can to run away from God, but he runs into God, and he, he finds that there's a whisper that he can encounter. He's seen God in the fire. He's seen God in the storm. He's seen God in the earthquake, but, but God's in the whisper, too. And there's a whisper of God. There's an encounter in the whisper of God. I, I'm convinced that, that revival isn't just something that comes down from heaven. That there's a revival that God wants to birth in us through the cave, the dark seasons of our life. If we can find God there. Yeah. Or better yet, be found by God. Yeah. And the goal is not to be fixed. The goal is to be found. Yeah. I love that, that here's Elijah and he's crying out to God for rescue. He's saying, God, rescue me. I think sometimes when we're in the pit and when we're in the cave and when we're in the fish... When we're in the cave season of life, sometimes we're crying out for God, God, would you rescue me? But the thing is, God doesn't want to rescue us. He wants to transform us. Get me out of this marriage, or get me out of this season, or get me out of this pain. And, and God doesn't just give us a quick fix. He doesn't just rescue us from the cave. He actually leads us deeper into the cave. Because God's desire is not just to rescue you or to fix you, it's to transform you, yeah. to resurrect you. And like Jonah, to spit you back up on that shore into your calling. We've got to recognize that, 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 that God's passion for us is not happiness, it's holiness. Like his, his goal is not that we just be happy. He wants to make us holy. He wants to transform us in every way and, and reveal us as sons and daughters, he wants to put on us on display for the earth to see we are the children of God. And here's the thing. Uh, God knows what we need in the cave. He, he's, he's such a good father. He knows exactly what we need. And sometimes, how many of you have been in a cave season? How many uh, just a painful season? Raise your hand. Everybody else, you're a liar. <laughs> It's, it's painful, there's suffering, you're in that season right now. And, and here's what I, I found about God, and, and, and I'm just becoming more and more aware of the fact that God knows what we need. Sometimes what we need is healing. We just need a healing touch of God. Sometimes what we need is a word from the Lord. We just need one word from the Lord. Sometimes what we need is to forgive someone. You're the one that actually is keeping you in the cave because you won't forgive someone. And unforgiveness is always a cave. Sometimes we need to forgive. Sometimes what we need is a friend. We're crying out for God to rend the heavens and rescue us, and instead He sends us friends. This is what David got. David was in a cave, running for his life from Saul. We only get five verses, but they're loaded, the five verses in David's cave, and, and, and that's another teaching, but, but what does David get? He's crying out to the Lord in a cave, and what does he get? He gets friends. 
He's crying out for God to, to rescue him. Instead, God sends him friends and the broken and the, the, the disheartened and the, the discouraged come to him. And so he gets all these friends because God knows what David needs because he can see beyond David's cave. And God knows, hey, listen, David's going to need some mighty men because he's about to be king. And so I'm going to send him some men, some broken men. And here's the thing. Friends that sit with you in brokenness and darkness are the ones who stand and lead with you in greatness. And so David gets some friends. And and I don't know what he's thinking. Like, I want you to do something. You're sending all these people. But then he could look back on the story and go, I just needed friends. Because they become the mighty men of God when he emerged from the cave. God knows what we need. What does Elijah get? Does he get a word? Does he get a rescue? Does he get a a healing? Elijah gets a question. The Lord says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Sometimes all we get is a question because God's not actually wondering what Elijah's doing there. God's not like, hey, what up? Like, what are you doing here for real? Like, God knows what Elijah's doing there, but God wants Elijah to know. I think many of you, you don't actually know what you're doing there. God's taking him deeper. God's not pulling him out of the cave. God's saying, I actually have something for you in this this moment, in this season, in this darkness. And there's nothing quite like cave to bring you face to face with God because you can't see anything. You've got to get close to see him. And he asks him a question. I think sometimes we come to God for lots of answers. And God's not the answer man. God's not going to give you answers all the time, but sometimes He'll just ask you a question. What are you doing here? He'll ask you a question about your finance, about your relationship, about the season you're in, about your campus, about your your, your struggle, your addiction, because God's actually taking you deeper because sometimes you've got to face the things in your life if you're going to get free. You've got to face the pain. You've got to face the suffering. You've got to face the rejection. That, that thing that happened when you were a kid. That thing that happened. That thing your, your father spoke to you. That, the disappointment. The dream that isn't fulfilled. Sometimes you've got to face that thing. And, and those who deal, heal. And oftentimes we, we don't actually deal. We don't actually feel. So we don't heal. God wants to actually do something powerful in Elijah's life. God knows what we need. God meets us in the cave. God knows what we need in the cave. And then this is the good news. God sees beyond the cave. So this is this is a massive deal that, that, that in the kingdom of God, cave never gets the final chapter. In the kingdom of God, suffering is not the last story. And we have to remember that, that God can see beyond the cave. He meets us in the cave. He leads us through the cave. But God sees beyond the cave. And with Elijah, the Lord begins to speak to him. In verse 15, the Lord said, Go back the same way you came. Travel through the wilderness. Find this king, anoint him. Find that king, anoint him. Find Elisha, who becomes a spiritual son for Elijah. Find him, anoint him as the next prophet. And then, and then God says, Oh yeah, and there's 7,000 others that carry this same cry. So the whole time, Elijah's whining. And he's like, I'm the only one God... Nobody else loves you. Everybody's pumped out on you. And God's like, at the very end of this word, he says, by the way, there's 7,000 others. <laughs> the problem is he got isolated. And he took this, he went into the wilderness alone. When we get disconnected from people, we start believing lots of lies. Yeah. And so the Lord says there's 7,000 others. And so the, the, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. And, and, and he meets him in the cave, leads him in the cave. But then he says, now go back the same way. Here's the thing. God 
knows what we need in the cave, but he also knows when to redeem us from the cave. There, there's this timing thing that, that God knows when to call us out. But what happens is the very cave, for Elijah, the, the cave was actually the safe place. He was running for his life because he was threatened by the king and the queen. So the, the cave was actually the safe place. We don't run the caves because we're stupid. We run the caves because we're smart. I need to get away. Like David was in the cave because Saul was trying to kill him. But God knows when the safe place is no longer safe. Well, when the place that was safe is no longer safe. And so God sends a prophet to David. God meets Elijah and pulls him out. Because if you stay in a cave long enough, it becomes your home. How many have seen the cartoon, The Croods? It's a family living in a cave. And she says, right off the bat, we've been living in this cave, and the cave has become our home. And our motto as a family is never not be afraid. They're living in fear in a cave, and it's become their home. And this is the thing, like, when you live in discouragement for too long, it becomes your home. When you live in depression, when you live in lies, when you live in fear, when you live in pornography, when you, when you stay in the cave too long, it actually starts to define you. And so we've got to, sometimes we've got to run to a cave. Sometimes God actually leads us to a cave. Like Jesus is led into a wilderness. There are times when, when that's the place where we need to encounter the Lord. He's doing something in us so He can do it through us. But we've got to know when the word of the Lord comes and says, you've got to leave the cave. And we live, we live in a culture. This is very true in the States, and I'm sure it's true in Canada. But we live... In a, in a culture where, where people are doing everything they can to avoid cave, to medicate cave, or people get stuck in the cave. So you've got people that are stuck. They've been stuck in a cave for years. You've got people in the church that have just been stuck in, in, in the church cave for years, and they don't know that actually the church was meant to move beyond the walls. Church can be a cave. It's a religious cave. And so there's people that get stuck, but then there's also people doing everything they can to avoid it. And, and I'm convinced, and this is what I believe God wants to do in our day and our generation, but that there be a generation who, who knows how to stay in the cave, in the pain, in the suffering, long enough to get everything God has for you. And then know when the Lord says, now get out of that cave. It can't define you. The most painful things in my life have actually become the most redemptive. And in the kingdom of God, what happens is your cave actually becomes your calling. Your pit becomes your passion. Your scar becomes your story in the kingdom of God. This is why the Lord says to Elijah, go back the same way. He doesn't get a new calling. He doesn't get a new... Sometimes I think it's so painful, we want like a new sexy calling. We want the new trendy thing, like, God, don't send me back there. Send me somewhere else. Like, whatever you do, God, don't send me to Toronto. <laughs> like, go back the same. Listen, but this is what happens is oftentimes and most of the time in God's world, the very place you run from is the place he sends you back to. And the very wounded places of your life become the places where you carry authority in the kingdom of God. Because this is why, like, what God does... In you, He can do through you, and what God leads you through, He can lead you can lead others through. This is a huge deal. You guys with me? That the very, the very scars you carry become the power you have to lead others through. This is a huge deal. Go back the same way, and He sends him back. I had a friend named Jeremiah that lives in Colorado, and, and uh, he grew up with just extreme abuse. His father would beat him. His father would threaten his life and, and say, I'm going to cut your hands off in the night. I'm going to slit your throat while you're sleeping. And for years, his father would just verbally abuse him and would beat him, would tie him up and beat him. And one night, uh, his father got just drunk, and 
put him in a, a trash bag and, and carried him out into a field and said, I'm leaving you here. People are coming to take you away tonight. I never want to see you again. And this is what Jeremiah grew up in for 10 years. And then when he turned 11 years old, he said that his, his dad instantly died in a work accident. And from that day on, he hated his dad. He became very depressed. He became very angry. He found himself in a cave and he said, I hated my dad and I didn't know what to do with the hatred and I wanted to die. He said for years he, he, he threw his life away because of this. And then a few years later, someone invited Jeremiah to a, a, a gathering like this, a worship gathering. And, and uh, he said that people were singing these songs and he just sat in the back and he, he, he wondered why he was even there. And then in the middle of this time of worship, he said that one of the pastors got on stage and looked out into the crowd and called him out and began to speak to everything that, that had happened in his life and speak to the anger and speak to the wounds and called him out and, and said very specifically that, that, that God was your father and that, that God was going to teach him how to become a man. And that God was healing the anger and healing the wounds. And Jeremiah just wept. And that night he gave his life to God. He felt the love of God come upon his life. And then a few years later, the call of God came upon his life. And, and, uh, and the Lord called him um, to become a father to the fatherless and the orphans on the earth. And so he started a ministry out of Colorado where they're funding and fueling a thousand orphan movements on the earth. It's incredible. He's telling me this story, and I'm like, it is just the grace of God. It's the, the goodness of God to take an orphan who grew up hearing things from his dad like, you are trash. And God would take an orphan and raise him up to become a father to orphans on the earth. That God would say, hey, Jeremiah, you belong to me now. I'm your father. Go back the same way. That God uses the fatherless to become a father to the fatherless. This is what God does. No chapter in God is ever wasted. And no cave is ever wasted. And do not allow one chapter of your life to define your whole story. There's always a greater chapter and there's always a plan of God to, to redeem every cave. Amen. And Elijah, it's interesting here, he, he gets this call to go to Elisha, and, and he says to God, he says, God, I'm done, I'm done, and God says, actually, you are done with your ministry, and your ministry is what you build with your own hands. So he says to Elijah, actually, you're done, there's a shift happening in your life from your ministry to your legacy. Your ministry is what you do. With your own hands. Your legacy is what you do through the hands of your sons and your daughters. So he's saying to Elijah, yeah, Elijah, actually you are done. You're done seeing the fire of God come down on altars. It's time to see the fire of God come down on sons and daughters. There's this shift that happens in, in the most painful season of his life. He actually gets called out of, transformed in the cave. He gets this new calling where the Lord says, hey, listen... Well done, Elijah, with your ministry, but you lay that down, and it's time to now pick up your legacy. Go anoint Elisha, the next prophet, and become a spiritual prophet in him. So oftentimes, the, the darkest chapters in the cave seasons actually become these defining moments in our story. Like, I look back at the, the chapters of my life that I don't even want to read, but they were the chapters that threw me into the new calling or or ignited in me a new authority or a new assignment from the Lord. And I look back and I wouldn't trade that cave for anything. Because God changed me, He transformed me, and He humbled me, and I actually needed it. And God doesn't cause suffering in our lives, but God has a cause in suffering. If we can find God. We're going to pray here in a minute, but I think this... I think this message is so important for, for resurgence and for a gathering of tribes and a gathering of brothers and sisters because I, I really believe that, that there's a generation swimming in brokenness. 
They're swimming in the brokenness of sexuality. They're swimming in the, the brokenness of, of fathers who have, who have abandoned them, mothers that have ran out on them. They're, they're swimming in, in the brokenness of, of, of where is God and why did this happen? Families torn apart. But here's the thing. Listen, this is the hope that the very things that have made this generation so lost have made them so ready. They don't have fathers, so they're longing for a father. Their families have been ripped apart, so they're longing for a family. The very things that have, that have, that have made them um, lost and broken and unreached are the very things that will reach them. And that God's raising up people who, 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 are, who are actually um, sent into the caves. Now, I believe like I believe that, that God wants to, to, to meet us in the caves and redeem us from the caves so that we can get sent to a generation that are living in brokenness and suffering right now. And in Ezekiel, this whole movement was, was birthed out of a word to Ezekiel that, that, that Ezekiel has asked this question of the Lord. God asks questions. Can these dry bones live again? It's like God speaking to you guys and saying, can, can Canada live again? Can revival come to the city? Can revival come to Canada? And God knows. He wants to know if you know. And then here's Ezekiel who speaks this word and begins to prophesy. And, and, and the breath of God comes upon these dry bones. And they become this army of, uh, of God. But what's the very first thing that happens in this Ezekiel story? The very first thing. God led Ezekiel into the valley of dry bones. God wants to lead resurgence into the valleys of dry bones. We can't get stuck in church on Sunday mornings. When the Spirit of God came upon the church, they actually left the room. <laughs> That's what happened. They prayed for 10 days. The prayer is foundation. But when the Spirit of God came, they didn't. They left the room. And there's got to be a generation that, that is able to find God in brokenness so that they can help a generation find God in brokenness. And be led into the valley of the dry bones to see God breathe on a generation, to see an army raised up in Canada and the Lord says in Ezekiel, He says this, and when this happens, they will know that I'm God. When this happens, and it all happens not in church, it happens in a wilderness and a valley. God meets a generation in darkness and in suffering. He, he, the generation you're called to reach, most of them God's not going to meet in church because most of them, they will not come to church. But if, if you can find them in the valleys and in the caves, God can meet them there. Amen? Because it's Sam. Worship team. Come. So I just want to, I want to pray for just a couple things. I want to invite you, I'm going to pray for one thing to, to begin this time, but I, I want to invite those, and I really believe that, that God wants to do something in you, that, that the Spirit of God is here, the presence of God is here, the power of God is here. I want to invite those people that right now, right now, you are, you're in the cave. You're in the wilderness. It's confusing. You're in the divorce. You're in the breakup. You're in the lies. You're in the apathy. You're in that place. Maybe your prayers would come get me out of this and the Lord actually wants to meet you in it. For the sake of a generation, He wants to be on you. He wants to ask you questions. He wants to sit in the mess. That's what he wants to do. He wants to sit in the mess. If that's, if that's you, if you'd be bold, and, and again, this isn't about 
people in the room. This is about God. If you would just come and just bring that to the Lord right now. He's been standing in front of you. It's time to stand in front of Him. Because God is about to reveal Himself to you. There's an invitation to know Him in in an intimate way right now. just glad that that Jesus didn't get stuck in the cave, but that Jesus endured the cave for the joy set before him, and that's us. Spirit. 
Because God, he just he wants a relationship. He wants you. He wants you. So I just pray, God, that, that you would come in the way that each one of us need. Some of us need friends. Some of us need a word. Some of us need a healing touch. Some of us need an, an encounter with the Lord. Some of us just need to be silent. Some of us need to shout. done, God, you can do, that who you are, you will be. 